welcome to Who Wrote This, where the telephone game meets plot summaries. I'm John Sansoni. Joining me as always is Jackson McKee. Hola. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, let me explain how this works. Each week, one of us will watch a movie, while the other reads only online summaries from Wikipedia or otherwise. Afterwards, the one who only read about the movie has to describe to the other what exactly happened, and panic is sure to ensue. Due to the nature of this podcast, spoilers are bound to happen, so a spoiler warning is in effect. You have been warned. This week, I watched, and Jackson read about, 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Starring Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka, Freddie Highmore as Charlie Bucket, David Kelly as Grandpa Joe, Helena Bonham Carter as Miss Bucket, Noah Tyler as Mr. Bucket, Missy Pyle as Miss Beauregard, James Fox as Mr. Salt, Deep Roy as the Oompa Loompas, and Christopher Lee as Dr. Wonka. The story follows the young Charlie Bucket, who finds a golden ticket and is brought to the Wonka Chocolate Factory along with his Grandpa Joe and four other children with their guardians. The group is led on a tour of the factory by the eccentric Willy Wonka, where Wonka shows them the inner workings of his factory, which is mostly run by the Oompa Loompas, three foot eleven men whom Wonka uses as a labor force. The film made $475 million against a $150 million budget. It received an 83% critic score and a 53% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, a 72 out of 100 on Metacritic, and an A- on CinemaScore. So, this movie is directed by a very famous director, Mr. Tim Burton, and boy, does that show. Oh, boy. Yeah, this, this movie is a trip. It is a trip, to say the very least. All righty. Let's just get right into it then, huh? Yeah, let's go. Charlie Bucket is a kind and loving boy who lives with his family in poverty near the Wonka factory. Okay, let's just let's just dive into the characters first before before we get too far into it. So Charlie Bucket is literally described by the, you know, disembodied narrator voice as not being stronger or faster, or smarter than any other boy. He's literally just very lucky. Is all that's really described to him. So he's literally just an average kid. And what you'll notice here is that this movie, going back a bit, is titled Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, which is correct to the book by Roald Dahl, instead of the more famous Gene Wilder version, which is called Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. So this time they're actually playing off of Charlie Bucket. So Char- Charlie's actor, I believe Freddie Highmore, this does very well. He's he Vincent as this kid who's, you know, kind of thrust into this interesting situation. But his his house is like built like a lean-to. It looks like a house from The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's like slanted oh. and really he sleeps in the in the loft and there's like just a hole in the roof. And he doesn't look out through like a window like any other wistful kid in like say like the Polar Express or something. He just looks through the hole in the ceiling. So if it rains, he's just Yeah. She's just screwed. Because the family's not well off. They're very poor. Cause it's, you know, if you're familiar with the premise, there's four grandparents live with them and they basically just sit in bed all day which is like in the center of the one room in the house and they're sitting like foot to foot right yeah so there's like one you know couple sitting on the left side which is grandpa joe and his wife i forgot her name then grandpa george and his wife i forgot her name too are on the right side of the bed if you're like walking into the house and you know i they don't ever really explain why i think it's just that they're they're old i don't know old but yeah, so Charlie and his his parents. By the way, Helena Bonham Carter can't believe they got her for this. But you know, he's he's a nice he's just a nice boy. I just got this image of like the grandparents in like their forties and fifties, 
just how awkward that would be. Oh, it, yeah, it would be terrible. I mean, it's not particularly like it, you know, it's played as like they're concerned about their situation. They're more so just there. Oh. The company's owner of the Wonka Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka, has long closed his factory to the public due to problems concerning industrial espionage, which are also caused all his employees, including Charlie's Grandpa Joe, to lose their jobs. So this, this is interesting to me. So Wonka has, at, when we flash back to Grandpa Joe, and by the way, he looks the exact same. He's like, I was a much younger man back then. You flash back, and Grandpa Joe looks exactly the same. Like they don't even like change no, his face. No, like, he, no, literally, it's not like they like re, like de-age him, like it's some you know dear of Hansen thing, or like a remove a mustache. Even no, like, he looks the exact same. Uh, even his wife, even his wife looks the exact same later on in the scene. But he is one of the workers at Wonka's first shop on Cherry Street. I want to believe, and so when they. Uh, you're first introduced to Wonka, and he's, like, looking behind this giant lollipop or this, like, giant hanging piece of glass. And Grandpa Joe's like, oh, we're run out of chocolate birds. And he's like – and Johnny Depp plays Wonka as this, like, very strange man, very pale, very eccentrically dressed. I read somewhere that it reminds – that it reminded the reviewer of, like, Michael Jackson – and honestly, I totally see it. Like it's that it's a very it's this very same kind of strange eccentricity. Wow. And so he's like, "Oh, we've run out of chocolate birds." So Johnny Jeff's like, "Oh, birds, birds." And he says it like exactly like that. Oh well, then just open your mouth. And he puts this like little candy egg in his mouth in Grandpa Joe's mouth. He closes his mouth. Wonka's like, "Open." And then when he opens, it, there's this very small chocolate, like live animated bird, like tweeting on his tongue. And then, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, then he built this giant factory. But the problem was that all the, like, all of his stuff was so lucrative. He's paranoid. That, no, not even that he's paranoid. It's proven that people are stealing from him. Like, one of his competitors makes never-melting ice cream, which Wonka finds out first. Everlasting bubblegum that never loses its flavor. Candy that when you blow into it, it, like, makes this giant balloon. He even builds... A chocolate palace for Prince Pondicherry all the way out in New Delhi, India. And he, you know, it's this, like, lesson of hubris where he tells Prince Pondicherry, like, oh, you better start eating it fast because it's going to melt. And P- Prince Pondicherry's like, oh, I'm not going to let it melt. I'm going to live here. And then, you know, one day it's really hot and the entire thing, like, pours down on him like, like a sewer or a tube and it starts popping. And, like, there's, like, leaks springing from all of it and then just floods. That's exactly what happens. Like, it, like, pours down on him. Oh, boy. But, yeah, you see that there's actual industrial espionage, so Grandpa Joe loses his job. Oh, dang. Grandpa Joe loses his job? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it says that. Yeah, that was, and that's, like, you know, I think he builds the factory 15 years before the events of the movie. So it's, like, anywhere from 20 beyond years. And also, Willy Wonka is, like, seemingly ageless. Grandpa Joe holds a grudge. Yeah, Good he does. Like, he uh, he's more so tells it like wistfully because you know it, it doesn't seem bitter about it. He just seems kind of disappointed at what could have been. Oh, oh dang! Sticking with the family tree, Charlie's father, meanwhile, has more recently been laid off from his own job at a toothpaste factory. Although he does not admit this to Charlie. So Charlie's dad is the guy who screws the caps onto toothpaste, and so 
every once in a while, if there's like a malformed one, like for example, if like two of them are stuck together back to back, like he'll sneak it home. Because Charlie has made a life, like a full replica of the chocolate factory out of toothpaste caps. How did he have time to do that? I don't know. But when they when they finally finish the uh, show you that he's doing it, he gets the final piece he's been looking for, which is a head for Willy Wonka. That's and it's like he's building everything. But yeah, Charlie's dad, uh, due to Wonka reopening factory in preparation for the big uh, contest, he has, you know, there's been an uptick in cavities, surprisingly. <laughs> and so with the uptick in cavities, the narrator explains, means there's also an uptick in toothpaste sales. So they automate the toothpaste cap process and they lay Charlie's dad off. But he doesn't tell Charlie that. He, he likens it to summer vacation. Well, I feel like that's just smart. It's smart for a kid, but you know, you know, it's it's kind of sad. One day, Wonka announces a contest in which golden tickets have been placed in five random Wonka bars worldwide, and the winners will receive a full tour of the factory as well as a lifetime supply of chocolate, while one will receive an additional prize at the end of the tour. Oh, yeah. So this is a big thing because, you know, it's been closed for 15 years. It's like this legend locally. And so they let it happen. They, they open everything up. You see these, these like people on bikes like roll out in the middle of the night and start posting these signs. And soon everyone, like you see a scene in Tokyo where a bunch of kids you know, flood into the store. You see a scene from Marrakesh, Morocco, where people are trading live animals for chocolate bars. You see scenes from all over the world. But yeah, and you know, Charlie, when Charlie, uh, you pan back to Charlie's family, Grandpa George is like, I bet the first kid who gets it will be fat, fat, fat. And then you immediately pan to Augustus Gloop. <laughs> Wonka's sales subsequently skyrocket. First four tickets are found by the gluttonous Augustus Gloop. Mm-hmm. Grandpa George was right. Yep. The spoiled Veruca Salt, the arrogant Violet Beauregard, and the ill-tempered Mike TV. So Augustus Gloop is this kid from Dusseldorf, Germany. Very, very uh, large kid who says that he only noticed that the golden ticket was in there when he was eating like one of his many chocolate bars that day. And he realized that there was something in there that didn't taste like a piece of candy he's ever had before because he started eating foil. And then Veruca Salt, whose parents, I think they were in Buckinghamshire. They're, they're somewhere in England, I think. I don't remember exactly. Her dad's this like mag, this like magnate for shelling peanuts. And so. Such odd jobs yeah, for and so everybody. She, yeah, I know. But that's Roald Dahl. I mean, he wrote he wrote a lot of weird stuff. So his dad changes the business to where they just start, instead of shelling peanuts, they just start taking apart candy bars until finally one employee finds it. Um, I hope he got a raise or some bonus. No, I think she, I think she almost kept it for herself and got in huge trouble, I think. Um, by Violet Beauregard is like this junior world champion gum chewer and she's very driven like you see her and she's in this like pink jumpsuit and there's this whole like there's walls and walls of trophies behind her and she's like oh well you know i switched i switched from gum to candy and then it's like you know well then she gets it and then mike tv is only ever shown just like playing video games and he's like you know anyone could anyone can figure out uh anyone can figure out the distribution like he he basically calculates how it happens he's a nerd and then and then when one of the reporters asks how does it taste he's like i don't know i hate chocolate he didn't even eat it he just got the ticket 
props to him for doing all that math, but at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So after all those guys are announced, Charlie tries twice to find a ticket, but both bars come up empty. After overhearing that the final ticket was found in Russia, Charlie finds a bank note and purchases a third Wonka bar. Yeah, so Charlie's explained, you know, they're very poor, and and that means that they can only afford him one bar a year. And so when his parents decide to let him have his bar a little early, it's like this marshmallow cream bar. They don't find it, but then, you know, to show that he's such a kind, loving boy, he he splits the bar and gives it to all of his family. Which is, you know, it's a nice, comforting scene. Yeah. But then when he gets the third bar, you know, he, he runs into the store with a banknote and he's like, I want, I want this candy bar, please. And you see this woman set down a, a newspaper that says, you know, Russian bar, Russian tickets, a forgery. He's like, the nerve of some people. And then he opens up the candy bar and immediately there are people hounding him trying to get him to sell it. Yeah, the Russian ticket is, is revealed to be forgery, as John just mentioned. Just as Charlie discovers the real ticket inside the wrapper. He receives monetary offers for the ticket, but the cashier warns him not to trade it regardless. And Charlie runs back home. So you see him go home. He shows it to Grandpa Joe. He goes, yippee, and then jumps out and just starts doing a jig. And, like, everyone's looking at him. Like, because this man has not gotten out of bed in years. Um, but, yeah, you know, he Charlie's really conflicted because... He knows his family isn't well off, and he knows it could be so much money for them because so many people want this. But instead, you know, Grandpa George convinces him to keep it. At home, Charlie says that he wants to trade it for money for his family's betterment. Again, showing that conflict John mentioned. After a pep talk from Grandpa George, however, he decides to keep it and brings Grandpa Joe to accompany him on the tour. So Grandpa George talks him into doing it, and then instead of letting Grandpa George come with... He says Grandpa Joe, who's just gotten out of bed to do a jig, gets to come with instead. Yeah, I don't remember where exactly, but I remember somebody across an online community that is just committed to hating Grandpa Joe. I don't remember exactly where it is. I just This is like a, a memory from the deep recesses of my brain. But there, somewhere out there, there is a group of Grandpa Joe haters, and I, I kind of agree with him. He just kind of stumbles into it. I get the whole, you know, he used to be a wonkum employees he deserves to see this but come on well in theory he's already seen it yeah and they even suggest like one of them suggests that he take his dad and he goes no i'll take grandpa joe it's like why charlie and the other ticket holders are greeted outside the factory by wonka who then leads them into the facility does he do the little roll thing that gene wilder did i i don't think so i think that was specifically just a gene wilder thing oh because you know well, it was Gene Wilder. Like, what What else did you expect? Dang. Individual character flaws caused the other four children to give into temptation, resulting in their elimination from the tour, while Wonka's new employees, the Oompa Loompas, sing a song of morality after each. Yeah, so, uh, let's talk about the Oompa Loompas. They're all played by one guy, Deep Roy, and that's even more unsettling because, like, they're all in this, like, red jumpsuits. Wonka's more red-themed than it has been in the past, except for the whole exterior of the of the entire factory's gray. Is their hair green and skin orange? Or no, they're, you know, it's, it, they did minimal work to Deep Roy. He looks regular black hair color. They didn't, like, add any makeup, as far as I could tell. Deep Roy's Deep Roy. Although I will note on the cast section of Wikipedia, it says vocal work was done by Danny Elf, who was the composer for this movie. So, but yeah, and the thing is, these 
uh, the the reason that vocal work comes in handy is because these songs that the Oopaloopas sing, because they do sing, is not like what you know with the oompa loompa doompa dee doo the, of the uh, Gene Wilder version. It's like someone took them to like a Broadway performing class because all of a sudden they're very theatrical, very out there, which I, I can see where Danny Elfman came in for this. Yeah. Because like oops, sorry. the Augustus Gloop songs, it's like rocking like Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop. It's like, it's like, wow, really? Yeah. I mean, it's funny to me because I've seen things on online communities like John has said, and it's like some child has just come very close to dying. The Oompa Loompas, it just shows like a like a picture of someone singing a massive song and doing this whole Broadway production. Like, that concept was just funny to me. Like, oh, no, this kid almost died. Oompa Loompa. Yeah, it's that same kind of jarring effect, but it's played a lot more. Like, if I was a little kid, I'd be terrified. Honestly, well, I wouldn't just be terrified about the the Oompa Loompas. I would be more so terrified about, you know, this Willy Wonka is so creepy. He's so unsettling. And Johnny Depp plays it really well. Like, he's, he's, he's acting very well, but it's so deeply unsettling, too. Meanwhile, Wonka reminisces on his troubled past and how his dentist father, Wilbur, strictly forbade him from consuming candy due to the potential dental risks. Yeah. So, and hearkening back to the toothpaste line for uh, Mr. Bucket, uh, yeah, Willy Wonka and his dad, Wilbur Wonka, um, who's played by Christopher Lee, by the way. Count Dooku. Yeah. Wow. He is kind of... You know, he checks his son's mouth every day. The kid's despondent because, you know, it's like, oh, you can't have candy. It's this, that, and the other. And, and you know, Christopher Lee, we all know he plays a real good villain. So, obviously, he plays it well. But, you know, Wonka's a kid, and so he tries to, he gets into a little bit of mischief. Yeah. After sneaking a piece of candy, Wonka instantly became hooked and ran away from home to follow his dreams. There you go. He and ate he candy. never sees his dad again. Well, until later. We'll he, get there. He ate candy and said, Dad, I'm gone. Yeah, well, I don't even think he announced it. I think he just left. <laughs> yeah. When he returned, however, both his father and their house were gone. Mm-hmm. After the tour, the four eliminated children leave the factory with an exaggerated characteristic or deformity related to their elimination. While Charlie learns that Wonka, now approaching retirement, intended to find a worthy heir. Yeah, see, and there, there's where you can actually see that Wonka show his age. Because, like, in the, in the entire movie, Wonka seems very ageless. He seems very, you know, he doesn't wrinkle. And you know he's been working for at least 20 years. So either he started very young or, like, Wonka's got some freaky chocolate magic to get himself uh, healthy. But, you know, it's the, same, it's the same story as the books. You know, Charlie is positioned as the, the, li- the less of the five evils. And so he's like, you know... So Charlie sees him as a worthy heir. Yeah. What what do the deformities look like? Oh God. Um, I'm trying to remember. Let's. I'm gonna look him up right now. But Augustus Gloop is like you know he 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 kind of drowns. I think. I want I want to say he does. I want to say he drowns from the uh, from the chocolate. He just dies. Uh, I don't think he dies, but. Hold on, let me find out. I don't, I don't remember like what what happens to him afterwards, but like, yeah, it doesn't turn out well for him. Does he, it turn out well for any of them? No, no. I mean, obviously, it doesn't. But like, he, he, um, can't find a picture of it. You're just gonna have to trust me on this one. Uh, it's bad. Obviously, like 
I mean, the more memorable one is like, for uh, is um, the gum chewing girl. I forgot her name. Uh, Beauregard. 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 Yeah, she's she's blue. You know, she it's, blue? it's the it's the whole it's the blueberry thing. She, remember, she drives a blueberry gum. Oh yeah. So you know, I, that's that's the most memorable one. I think Augustus Gloop drowns in the chocolate river. I'm pretty sure. So I don't remember exactly what his deformity is. Since Charlie was the least ill-behaved of the five, Wonka invites Charlie to come live and work in the factory with him, provided that he leave his family. Charlie declines, as his family is the most important thing to him. And that's, that's so just sweet. so that, That's another thing. That's just, he's so, he's, Charlie's just so nice. And you can tell, like, Tim Burton did his research. Because Charlie isn't portrayed as this, you know, like, this kind of uh, hard-headed kid that he kind of is in the first movie, in the in the Gene Wilder movie. He's an earnest kid. He really does care about his family. And he feels more like a kid than the Gene Wilder one. Well, that's good, right? Yeah. It really, it really does justice to Roald Dahl. Although, I remember reading somewhere that Tim Burton, like, it was a pretty convoluted process just to get done. Roald Dahl did not like the 1971 film adaptation. Like, at all? No. Uh, according to Wikipedia, quote, author Roald Dahl disapproved of the 1971 film adaptation. A Warner Brothers and Brillstein Grey Entertainment entered into discussion with the Dahl estate in 91, hoping to purchase the rights to do another version. The purchase was finalized in 1998 with Dahl's widow Felicity and daughter Lucy receiving total artistic control. But the subsequent protection of the, sor- of the source material was the main reason that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory had languished in development hell, where a movie, you know, or a piece of media doesn't get produced for a while, since the 1990s. So this movie took at least 15 years to make. Wow. I sure hope they didn't keep any of the actors, or if they did, they changed it up a bit. <laughs> I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure they changed a little bit of it. But in May 2003, they announced it would be one of their tentpole film releases, so one of, like, the big, like, strong... Tim Burton was hired with ex- enthusiastic approval from the Dahl estate, although he compared the, the progress of the project to the 1989 Batman. Really? Yeah. So apparently this movie was so bad that it, he likened it to the Tim Burton Batman film of 89. People, I liked that movie. I Most liked it. Most people liked that movie. And you can, you can see the classic Tim Burton style in this, you know? Everything's very surreal and strange and, you know... Honestly, he picked a great composer in Danny Elfman. It's all very nicely composed. It feels wondrous and wonderful and mysterious and strange. Okay. Coming to the end of the road here, John. Yeah. As Charlie and his family's life improve, Wonka becomes despondent, causing his company and sales to decline. He eventually turns to Charlie for advice, and he decides to help Wonka reconcile with his estranged father, Wilbur. Yeah, so... The house is just in this, like, white landscape. Because this is where you find Wilbur. He's just in the middle of nowhere. Oh, nice. And so Wonka remarks when they first get there, he's like, I think we've got the wrong house. And then he turns and looks at the placard, and you see Dr. Wilbur Wonka, and you just see him grimace. He has goggles on, so you can't see his eyes, but you can tell. You can tell. That he's not he's happy. He's not happy this. to be there. But Charlie, Charlie's, you know, this is where Charlie gets headstrong. So he, you know, kind of pushes him into it. During the reunion, Charlie notices newspaper clippings of Wonka's success when which Wilbur collected. 
while Wonka realizes the value of family as he and Wilbur finally reconcile. Yeah, so Charlie's looking around and he sees, you know, like, world's largest factory opens, you know, Wonka's success, and all these, like, newspaper clippings framed. Oh, and the, the way that they, the way that he gets, that Charlie gets Wonka in is when they knock on the door and Dr. Wonka's like, do you have an appointment? And uh, Charlie's like, no, well, but he's overdue. And so, so they go in and, you know, Wonka's getting his teeth adjusted. And by the way, Wonka, it's not like, you know, the candy did anything to his teeth. He has remarkably very good teeth. Good even remar- Like Dr. Wonka even remarks on it. He's like, wow, I haven't seen this kind of teeth since. And then he pauses. And that's how he recognizes his son. But this shot, this is this shot where like you hear Dr. Wonka talking is from the perspective of uh, Willy's mouth, Willy Wonka's oh. mouth. So you're like seeing like his teeth as kind of the border of the frame, and you can see like Christopher Lee through it, like with like the, one of those like handheld mirrors and a pick, and he and he just pulls out, and then he you see hit you Willy, and uh, Wonka goes, "Hi, Dad," and that's <laughs> and that's it's like so strange, it's so strange because all the dialogue that Johnny Depp delivers is very impressively strange. Well, that's kind of what he's known for, right? Is either the seriously drunk or the seriously disturbed. Yeah. And, like, back on the Michael Jackson point, I find it very hard to believe he didn't take some inspiration from it. Which is unfortunate because this movie came out right around the time the Jackson lawsuit got settled. Oh. So, like, maybe not the great cultural point for it, but you can see it was that exact kind of, like, that kind of ethos. Yeah. That he tried to incorporate into the character. Yeah. Afterwards, Wonka allows Charlie and his family to move into the factory together. And that's a nice, happy ending. You know, because it's it's a very, you know, not a lot of Tim Burton movies end exactly as happy as this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas and, you know, I mean, Batman. Batman's Batman. But, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the Tim Burton movies, you know, kind of have this very strange, you know, kind of what will happen next kind of thing. Yeah, cliffhanger. This, this, yeah, but this just feel it feels good. It feels good because it's a complete story. He's not like creating a new story. It's a complete story. Well, that's good, right? Yeah, it's a great. It, and Tim Burton does a very good job. Like it's, I don't know if this is my if this or the Gene Wilder version is my favorite though. I think they both do very different things. I think Gene Wilder's just uh, a buoyant charis- charisma, kind of shows through in the first one in the 1971 version hmm. and he and he really does and Gene Wilder really does kind of carry the whole thing because you know like literally yesterday someone referenced you know the good day to you sir scene like where where Wonk is like laboring over his desk oh uh, yeah and I can't say the same thing about this movie I don't know if anyone can explicitly quote it like that nope but what by trading that in, they get a much more well-rounded performance. Everyone carries their everyone carries their load here. Johnny Depp does do very well as Willy Wonka, but Charlie and Grandpa Joe don't step back. And Deep Roy as Oompa Loompa, as all the Oompa Loompas, are very impressive too. <laughs> the Oompa Loompas. I, yeah, I almost refer to him as Oompa Loompa as a singular. It's like, well, well, no, I guess there's more than one. Although there are female Oompa Loompas, like this one working the reception desk later. Sexist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was too. This was uh, this was a very strange movie. Honestly, nothing shocked you about this. 
It was more so just like a oh moment because they're all dressed in like red, but actually when you see them first in Loompa Land, which is where they're from, it's like their native tribal getup, as as I think it's described. But like you know, and then they go to the they go to the factory. And now it's like oh well, sorry, you can't wear that. Go wear a red jumpsuit. Go get dressed. Yeah, really. It's like, come on. Actually, no. Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I do like the jumpsuits more. It's a very, it, it, it's fitting for the whole Wonka ethos, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's it. That's yeah. it. Surprisingly, this is one of our shorter episodes. We're only hitting about thirty-two and a half, thirty-three minutes right now. Prior to editing, too. Yeah, like, and that, and that just goes to show the remarkable, the remarkable work here. It's only 115 minutes long. It's just under two hours. And it doesn't feel incomplete. It feels right. It feels, it feels you know, yeah. it feels complete. It feels, you know, the visual style, the set design, the soundtrack, Burton's direction of it. It's all very interesting. Johnny Depp's performance I can see being a bit more, you know, polarizing, a bit more controversial. Because it's like, you know, who likes it more? Who likes it? Who? Yeah, but it's... I think it's significantly more faithful. It feels more like something Roald Dahl wanted or wants. Would want. Yeah, would want. Is he dead? Yeah, he died He died before this movie was produced. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it, it feels like that exact same cautionary tale. Kind of, it feels like a fable. feels like a folk tale. Whereas the Gene Wilder version just feels like this, you know, it feels like a storybook. It feels, it doesn't feel less like a, you know, reader beware kind of thing. And this does. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that, this podcast is a product of Marist Podcasting. It was hosted by John Sansoni and Jackson McKee. The intro and outro song is Dial Tone 11 by Blue Dot Sessions, used under Creative Commons 3. Any views or opinions expressed by the host and or guests are not the opinions of Marist School or the Society of Mary. With that, we say thank you, and we'll see you next time with another, maybe it's a good movie, maybe it's a bad movie. We don't know, but we'll see you next time. Bye.